The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So today I'll continue this conversation about ethics, Buddhist ethics. I like to think of it as the ethics that comes out of doing our practice as opposed to the ethics that comes out of Buddhist texts. Though I'll certainly refer to them today, Buddhist texts. And and the first one I'll refer to, uh, which uh, I find quite inspiring, and or in more important than inspiring, instructive, is uh, the Buddha talks about um, uh, uh, defines a, a wise person in a particular way, and it's interesting to see the difference between wisdom and how that's talked about, and the description of a wise, a wise person, because really it's the person we're trying to transform in Buddhism, to be a different kind of person, not just to know abstract wisdom or something that's out there in a sense, or just to have knowledge, to really become changed. And, um, and so for a, uh, to be a wise person of great wisdom, the Buddha said, such a person is concerned with the welfare of themselves, the welfare of others, the welfare of self and others, and the welfare of the whole world. And in terms of ethics, to be concerned for the welfare of the whole world and welfare of others, and it includes oneself, uh, is an ethical uh, possibility, potential that we have. And this is, to be a wise person, that's the whole direction which we're moving in Buddhism, is to become a wise person and it's not, uh, again, not book learning, but rather it's defined by becoming a person who's concerned for the welfare of all beings. That's the goal, and that points to how I'm emphasizing this week that uh, the path of liberation and the path of e- what we call in the West, call ethics, are the same thing. Um, that uh, the ethical, ma- uh, 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 spiritual maturation in Buddhism is the same as ethical maturation. And it's just that they don't have that language of, in the ancient world of ethics like we have that word in English. So we don't find a, you know, that word there in some clear way saying that. Uh, but definitely that's, that's the, the way the texts are going. Interesting, the Buddha also said that uh, someone who's spiritually mature uh, not only lives by the precepts, lives in that kind of ethical way, but also uh, encourages others to live that way. And exactly what this means to encourage others to live this way is, you know, that's a fascinating topic and in different settings it might look differently. In some settings it might be to uh, to somehow uh, stand up for social justice and where, where people are killing each other or harming each other um, we would stand up and encourage them not to do that. And, and that encouragement, maybe as acts of civil disobedience, could be quite strong and powerful. But that would be an expression of encouraging others not to kill. And, and um, they wouldn't be done with hostility, but it would be done with maybe with uh, real strength. A wise person lives by the precepts and encourages others to do it as well. 
And um, so becoming a wise person has this ethical component in part. And where does that ethics come from? And it comes from a kind of ethical sensitivity. And that mindfulness itself uh, has an ethical component to it in that it cultivates the sensitivity to recognize um, within oneself what is harmful and what is beneficial. And this ability to really refine one's capacity to understand in ourselves what is afflicted, what causes affliction, and what causes welfare, that is the primary criteria for understanding what is ethical in the Buddhist tradition. There is a story uh, of um, uh, the Buddha teaching his son. Not everyone knows the Buddha had a son. And uh, uh, the Buddha went off and brought six years to uh, go off and practice and and, um, become enlightened. Uh, Went off to graduate school in a sense and then came back uh, to uh, his hometown, to his family, at which point his son ordained as a seven-year-old, became a novice monk, and then for the rest of the sons growing up, he was under the tutelage of his father. In a sense, uh, the Buddha was the primary parent for much of his son's life. And um, But there's a story of the Buddha, of, uh, the Buddha rep- uh, saying in very strong terms to his son, how important it is not to lie. The text uh, in the middle-length discourses uh, doesn't say what happened, but most people who read it say, well, this is pretty obvious that uh, his, little, his child was, had said a lie and it was, it was caught saying the lie. And so the Buddha then, in, without saying something directly, criticizing him specifically, uh, said something more, a little bit more removed about lying. He said something like, the value of someone who lives a monastic life, um, who lies, a monastic who lies, the value of that monastic life is as much as um, turning a bowl uh, over upside down so all the water runs out. The amount of water that's left in the bowl is the worth of a monastic life of someone who lies. That's kind of strong language. And the Buddha goes on to say that if someone who in, consciously lies, uh, that person would probably uh, be willing to break all kinds of other uh, precepts as well. It's that important. But what, uh, what is uh, even more valuable is what the Buddha said next. He said to his son, um, when you're going to do something before you do it, while you do it, and after you do it, you should uh, reflect and consider whether what I'm doing or what I did, what I'm going to do, uh, is going to cause harm or affliction to others or not. You really want to, sp- uh, and he used the, uh, the, um, the metaphor of a mirror. He said to his son, do you know, what is, what is a mirror for? And, the mirror, and the, his son said, mirror is for reflection. In the same way, you should, uh, use a, you should look at yourself you yourself are kind of the mirror for yourself. Look at yourself, uh, or the question, you know, is this afflictive or not afflictive, is maybe the mirror, to see in oneself. And so it does take this ethical consideration, this mindfulness of looking at what is afflictive and what is not afflictive, and learn to recognize that. Um, and is it, does it lead to 
pain and suffering or does it lead to happiness for people, for yourself and for others? And when he said, does it lead to affliction? He said, does it lead to affliction to oneself or does it lead to the affliction to others? Or does it lead to the affliction of both self and others? So here he's talking to a young child and he has the same kind of uh, teaching as he does about a wise person that the concern is in all directions to self and others and self and others. And, um, and, this, and the criteria is, is it afflictive? And how do we know it's afflictive? Through our powers of attention through paying attention to ourselves. And we ourselves as a standard, we ourselves have the empathy, the, the reference point for really understanding how others are hurt by us. And so the more we can p- develop ethical sensitivity and feel how we experience stress, how we experience affliction and pain and harm by our actions or maybe the actions of others, um, that we wake up the capacity to be sensitive to these kinds of issues. And so then we're more careful. So to make this kind of at the heart of Buddhist ethics means that we are the arbitrator for what is ethical by through the criteria of what is causing harm and what is afflictive or not. It's not abstract moral code, rules out there that one has to adopt. There's no one in Buddhism outside who you know, has some kind of abstract uh, moral code that really is the heart of it all. The heart of it is this capacity to recognize harm and benefit. And, uh, and to do that as, uh, uh, is really uh, strengthened by our capacity to uh, be mindful, to be attentive, to be here. We will make mistakes. We will do things that are harmful. We will kind of, it's, it can be very, very subtle, the ways at which we, uh, uh, you know, cause little pieces of stress. Um, but this attention to what's afflictive and non-afflictive, to suffering and happiness, um, this is, even though it's a teaching to a young child here, um, uh, I've heard Buddhist teachers emphasize how uh, this little teaching is actually at the very heart of the Buddhist path and all the way to enlightenment that this little distinction to see what's afflictive and non-afflictive, what causes suffering and, and what causes happiness, that's the guide and support for the path to liberation. And because it has to do with affliction and pain and suffering and, the, and happiness, it's also in Buddhism uh, the the path to on the path of ethics to becoming ethically mature the two are one and the same they're not any distinct from each other so it might seem a little simplistic to begin ethics by looking at what's afflictive and what's not what's suffering and what's happiness but that's really the reliable criteria that if we learn to be skilled at recognizing that we find our ways both personally and socially in very, very effective ways. And it's a phenomenal support. And one of the things it means is that the way that we're ethical um, uh, also needs to be non-afflictive. The way that we hold ourselves in an ethical way, 
to it's not going to cause harm. It's actually going to be something which brings happiness and well-being. And how do we experiment, like we did with the breathing today? How do we experiment with the way we behave in the world and how we speak so that we can be resilient and learn from what we do and not be weighed down by things, but be able to kind of come back to a ethical way of being or a fresh way of being. Um, so that is nourishing and supportive. And that supportive and nourishing in a way that then encourages further ethics or if you do, I mean, further an ethical approach to life. And if you don't like kind of the idea of the ethical approach to life, it's completely fine for it to be a liberative aspect of life. How do you, more conducive to liberation and freedom and wisdom, how can you come back so that is the direction you go? And why I can so confidently say it's fine, either one, is because they're one and the same. There's no difference. So one of the primary principles of this early Buddhist ethics has to do with our capacity to be sensitive to what causes affliction and what causes welfare, what causes suffering and what uh, brings about happiness. So I'll talk more about this tomorrow and, um, and thank you for being here.